Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. This is episode number eight. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. On today's show, we're sitting down with speech and drama teacher Katrina Roberts and chatting about stage presence. Katrina Roberts has been teaching speech and drama for over eight years, with extensive experience both as a teacher and performer. She's a registered teacher with a graduate diploma from USQ, a licentiate diploma in drama and performance from the AMEB, a graduate certificate of voice studies from the Victorian College of Arts, and an associate diploma teaching speech and drama from Trinity College, London. She achieved the highest mark in Queensland for her AMEB Associate and Licentiate Diploma examinations. Katrina is also a UQ graduate and holds a Bachelor of Journalism and Arts majoring in Drama and Writing. She has worked for national talent agencies directing acting and modelling courses for new talent and regularly prepares students for drama school, theatre and film auditions. We saw Katrina present a masterclass on confidence in communication and loved the deep understanding she has in this field through her work as a speech and drama teacher. We were interested in hearing more and thought we'd share some Katrina wisdom on the show. So to begin with, Katrina, why are you interested in communicating and speaking and how did you get started? Well, I'll start with how I got started. I think I kind of fell into doing what I'm doing. I don't really recall ever knowing that what I do is a job or knowing that that was something I could do. I, as a child, had speech and drama lessons, which some people will be really familiar with. It's really common in certain pockets of Australia and the world, very big in the UK, Um, especially in private schools, it's quite common, but not everyone would recognise that term. But I did speech and drama lessons all throughout my childhood, and I was a bit of a nerd about it, to be honest, a bit of a tragic. Uh, The people had guitar and piano, and I had speech and drama lessons. And I think I just never stopped really. And then I finished school and I got up to my grade eight level, which is about right for that age. And then I went, okay, cool. What's next? And my teacher went, oh, you're going to keep going. I said, yeah, of course I'm going to keep going. Why would, is that a thing to not keep going? I thought this is what I do now. I've been doing it all my life. And so then I just kept going and then realized, obviously, as I got higher, that now this is now a career choice, which I wasn't aware of because I've got a journalism degree, so that didn't really work out the way that, <laughs> that I planned, but whatever, it's on the wall, but I don't use it and never have. And instead, I've just been doing this since basically I've left school. I haven't looked back. And why I like doing it is, I mean, that's, I suppose in a way I, I just like talking myself, so it's an excuse to get paid to talk a lot of, talk about a lot of stuff. It's most, the dream. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, most specifically talking. And then I also just have always liked working with children and teenagers, so it was just a perfect fit. And again, I was already doing it, so I just kept going. And I like to see students come to me, and I like to feel like I've made a difference, even in a small way. I certainly don't think that they come to me and, I, and they leave my room as if they're suddenly goddesses and better than everyone else. But I definitely see in every one of my students there's something, at least, which they've taken away and that they hopefully enjoy the process of doing so yeah that's why I do it and why I like to do what I do. How do you see the ability to communicate effectively changing your students lives? Mm -hmm. I feel that it's really underestimated how important the skill is not just in assessments which is of course 
what you know parents think of and that's why they enroll etc but just in literally every single aspect of their life it's the way they walk into the room with a renewed sense of confidence it's the way that they can pick up a piece of paper and feel like they can do something with random words on a page it's the idea that if they need to then go do assessments or orals or debating or acting that they have a baseline of skills which they can apply and I know that as they get older and I do this often with my senior students I basically become redundant because all the Mm. skills are embedded in everything they've done from when they were little and they get to the point where they no longer have to be told and have to have to mimic you or have to have everything so structured and given to them on a platter. Communication skills just infiltrate every aspect of how they operate in the world. And if you can give them the skills when they're little, in the best learning stage, they can do anything. They can perform Shakespeare. They can perform a monologue to get into drama school. They can nail a debating contest. They can do anything. They can go to a job interview and know that I have ways to communicate my ideas effectively. So it really is a holistic thing, which is why I like Mm. it so much. It applies to literally every single thing they will do on this planet because everything we do involves other people and involves you presenting yourself in some aspect or way to people around you. Yeah, that's pretty powerful then. Yeah, I think so. And I think, and again, I really, I'm really passionate about what I do. And I acknowledge that in my particular industry, I'm still, even after eight years by myself practicing teaching, that I'm still probably the youngest one doing it in my way. Right. With a employed in my fashion, because it's not, it is a small industry. It's one that's, I don't want to say not valued, but in terms of a curriculum and schools, which is where I operate, it's there's not a lot of space for things like that for some schools. It's, it tends yeah. to get pushed to the side as something not as important. So that's why I really like to continue doing what I'm doing and I enjoy that my particular workplace is really supportive of what we do. I'm one of four teachers in my school, which is almost unheard of. But, and we have wow. hundreds of students because mm-hmm. it's, the culture of the school is we value speech and communication tuition and we want our students to have the opportunity to learn skills here which they can't learn at other schools so yeah, yeah I think it's very important so it sounds like the the speech and drama is really teaching self-confidence as you said holistically and it seems to me like from that early age you're circumventing the entire fear of public speaking that many of us feel well into adulthood and beyond yeah absolutely and that's I have this conversation almost daily with new students who come through a lot of students, and I, 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 I'm going to continue speaking in the context of my school students, but completely understanding that this applies to any student of any age and experience yeah. level. But with my students who are new, there's always that, oh, I don't want to do this performance. I'm scared. And the thing that I pretty much get stamped on my head because I say it that much is if you don't try it, you don't know how it's going to go. And if you don't know how it's going to go, you can't say it's going to go terribly or all that negative self-talk of, you know, I might forget my words, I might Mm. do this. It's all an unknown. And unless you actually try it and give it a go, you really can't comment. And similarly, it's the idea of, I am very confident in saying to a lot of my students, try it once. And if you hate it, you do not have to do it again. No one is forcing you back on. And that's a risky thing to say, but to be honest, that's never come back to bite me. I have never, even the shyest student, and I, I, I don't think that's me or anything. I think it's giving people the chance to just give things a go without repercussions. Yeah. I can say to a young grade five, 10-year-old girl, 
give it a go. Let's do something fun that you'll enjoy doing. No pressure. I just want you to do it and try. And next year you can tell me you don't want to do it again. And it's never happened because they do try it. And even if they're scared and sometimes they stuff up, it's the perfect environment to make mistakes when you're little because you're little. No one's, yeah. <laughs> there are no expectations. It's a different, it's higher stakes when you're in a corporate world or an adult, yeah, yeah. but it's lucky when you're a kid, because if you stuff up, no one in the audience is judging you. We only yeah. want you to do well and we want to let you start again or we want to let you have a breath and we want to clap for you and smile at you and make you feel good about yourself. So that's why they do it again because there's nothing to lose. Yeah, and I imagine it's quite an achievement for them even just having given it a go. So you've got that immediate positive feedback loop. Yeah, absolutely. And it really, it is really terrifying for anyone who's not used to doing any new skill really. Yeah. But to speak is so vulnerable because it's mm. not – it's literally having people look at you in your entirety and have undivided attention on you. And that's a horrifying thought on its own. Mm. <laughs> but then in the right environment, under the right circumstances, with the right preparation and the right crowd, in my context again, it's fine. And they can do it. And yeah. I've never had anyone uh, break down in tears and traumatize themselves <laughs> from giving it a go. Yeah. So what are the um, the most common problems that you see with someone in regards to um, effectively presenting or speaking? There's a lot. I'm thinking about all age groups that I do work yeah. with adults as well. So I'm trying to yeah. keep it as general anything as across the board. Yeah. Honestly, it's exactly the same. The same issues. When No, they're not issues. The same skills that are underdeveloped in grade five students are the same skills which are underdeveloped in nervous adults. Yeah, right. They are genuinely the same thing because we're all human. Mm -hmm. And context aside, there are universal truths that we need to address, such as the way that we approach speaking in the first place in terms of confidence. Mm -hmm. So our attitude towards it and our ability to control the text or the speech or whatever we're saying so that we can communicate what we intend to communicate, that's universal. The idea of how you can grab the audience, so ensuring that they want to listen to you, that's a universal message and something yeah. people struggle with at all ages. And in my particular personal interest, also voice. A lot of people wouldn't have a clue about how their voice works. And similarly, yeah. mm -hmm. they don't know how to use their voice to their best potential. The best potential in grade five might simply be being loud enough to be heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's the same lesson and the same way of teaching that skill than to a 40-year-old businessman who similarly cannot be heard. It's the same lesson, just yeah. perhaps packaged in a different way. So they're probably the three major ones I'd say everybody has room to develop in. So we heard you speak about presence recently, and this is something that we hear about, but it can be really difficult to define and certainly difficult to get. So can we start with what is presence? How would you define presence? I think that in itself is an unanswerable question because the nature of presence in itself is that it isn't so tangible in a way that you can simply define it in a couple of words. It's kind I of mean, the X factor, isn't it? It is. It's, it's, the, it's that extra little spark that people have. And a woman called Patsy Rodenberg, who's a really renowned vocal coach and just all around amazing teacher of voice and speech and acting, has written three books about presence. Oh, wow. And she's worked with a lot of Big, big actors, hasn't yeah. she? Yeah, so big names, Dame Judi Dench, 
um, Johnny Depp. If if you're a major actor, especially in Britain or in Hollywood, you would know of her or have worked with her. Yep, she's wow. she travels the world and she's in high demand. But her books are everywhere. This big popular book with public speakers called The Power of Presentation, I think it's called, which a lot of people would have picked up as a top public speaking book, which goes into the same sort of thing. So she, in certainly in her own words, she has a fantastic way of describing it and defining it. But the fact that she still is able to write three books on the same topic just goes to show how it's so much more than just a thing you can do. So you're saying you're not going to be able to cover it in the next four minutes? I can with us. <laughs> <laughs> I will give it my best shot, but I will absolutely foreshadow it with it is a huge, fluffy, intangible concept. And I say that to my students as well when I talk about this. And I, I preface it by saying, I know what I'm about to say and talk to you about today is gonna make is gonna feel really fluffy, not very specific. It's gonna feel a little bit a little bit more holistic than perhaps you're used to yeah. and a bit more ethereal and that's just what it is so Mm. I definitely can describe it but it certainly is an unusual thing to try and pin down to something but you certainly know when somebody has it definitely yeah and we and you don't need to be an expert to know if someone's got presence because presence is simply if they can draw your eye and your attention that's presence and not by clapping in your face or yelling in your face to get your attention that way it's the idea that someone can walk onto stage or walk into a meeting room or walk into a school whatever whatever and for whatever reason no matter how distracted you are or how much you're thinking about lunch or whatever you just can't help but look at them they're not even doing anything they could just be walking but they have something about them which draws your eye and your focus and that's presence. It's not so much you just putting something on, like standing up straight or looking confident or sounding confident. That's all quite artificial, really. But true presence is not only giving a sense of focus and energy to your audience, into the world, but also receiving it. So being here in the moment, here in this day, place and time, in this room with your mind completely here, and not thinking about other things. And the second ingredient is then giving that energy to that audience and receiving energy back. And again, as I said, I know how fluffy that sounds. <laughs> and for anyone who and for anyone who knows me as well, I'm not a fluffy, woo-woo. holistic, <laughs> woo-woo person. And that was a big thing that I had to overcome with learning about presence because I'm going to use acting as an example because even as Patsy Rodenberg says, who I will keep referring to because she's a big part of my inspiration, yeah. my pedagogy, I suppose, is that actors have a lot to teach us, plebs, about presence because they learn it from day one of acting school. I even remember when I did my voice degree at VCA down in Melbourne, I spent a lot of time learning how to stand. And I remember thinking... Why on earth am I not doing things and standing? This is really boring. Why do we keep harping on about how I'm standing, where I'm looking, am I focused, blah, blah, blah. And it really frustrated me for the first few months. And it got to the point where I got really internally angry about it. I was going, why have we not done any acting yet? We're not doing anything. We're just standing. And only now in hindsight do I look back and go, 
that was probably the most important lesson I've learned because in the standing lessons where we literally stood and looked at our teacher or a person and tried to give them our focus in its entirety, that lesson is presence. It's about making sure that your body and yourself are completely focused and ready to give energy and give focus and give intention and give a message Mm -hmm. and to ensure that you are so open and willing and ready to share the energy that your audience cannot help but want to give it back to you through their own focus. We've all been there, you know, in a good musical or a play or something live where someone's speaking who we love and we just go, I don't know why I like you so much or why I can't stop looking at you, but you just completely enrapture me. I don't understand what it is. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You can sometimes just lock onto someone Mm. and they're not doing anything different. No. Particularly. And that's very, that's a big part yeah. of the lessons of presence. It's not a thing. You can't just say, oh, I have presence because I'm standing straight now. I've got the presence now. Yeah. <laughs> now I am here. It is, it really is a metaphysical thing. It's a mind thing. It's an emotional thing. A little bit of a physical thing because obviously that's all housed within mm-hmm. a body that needs to be complementing the mindset. Yep. But it is so much more than just a little, little tweak of your body or your eye yep. contact. It's being so ready to perform and ready to share your message that eyes just come to you. And it is such a powerful thing. I've even watched, and it's again, it's context specific, but in terms of what they can achieve at their age, I watched Little E's do it. And even I who have watched their monologue or whatever, 80,000 times in rehearsal, (laughs) and I go, okay, yep, cool. She's on what's going on over here. And they make me look at them. They just are so ready to perform for you. And they're so excited to share with that audience what they have worked on so hard. Their mind is out and it is with you and their eyes are on you and they want you to look at them. And you do. Mm. And it's so thrilling, even as an audience member, to watch someone who is so committed to being present You just want to watch them because you think, oh, I'm getting such a buzz from just watching you want to talk to me. It feels like an honor or a privilege. Yeah. It feels like it's quite an outward focused thing and focused on the room, the presentation, the audience, where in contrast, if we think about nervousness or the lack of confidence and presence is quite an inwards focused thing about how I feel and what I'm going to do. Absolutely. And that's one of the key messages of learning how to become present and if you want to read more about it going back to Patsy's books that's number one lesson that she talks about so the way she describes that is she has three circles so if you imagine there's a small circle inside a bigger circle inside an even bigger circle if we look at that first smallest circle she calls that first circle which is what you were describing Thomas so the idea that your focus and your energy is completely inward You are physically in the room. You're standing on stage or you're standing in front of people. You're there, literally, but you're not there really because your mind is somewhere else. Your mind could be on lunch. Your mind could be on the fact that the ceiling looks a bit dodgy in that corner. Your mind could be on the fact that you are nervous about X, Y, Z, which is most of the time the problem. It's a nerves-related focus. Mm -hmm. And you might be saying words at people generally, 
and they can hear you and you're looking kind of at them, but then you're not really. To be honest, if you were, to, if you were asked, you probably wouldn't be able to describe a single person in the audience because you weren't really looking. You were just kind of putting on the facade of presentation, but your mind was elsewhere. And the audience can feel that. It's like if you imagine when you were in class in school and you would remember clearly an experience where another classmate was doing an oral or a reading or something and you go, God, this is boring. (laughs) And you just can't wait for them to stop because it is so uninteresting. And they're doing the right things. They're saying words Mm. and they're looking at you. Technically ticking the boxes. Ticking the boxes, ticking all of the, you know, speech boxes. But it's not effective. And that's because they're not present. They're thinking of other things. So then if we go back to the circles, the second, uh, I'll go to the third circle, which is the largest exterior circle. So I'm kind of viewing this like a dartboard. Yeah, that's a helpful image, a dartboard. (laughs) So around the edge of that dartboard, the biggest circle is where we, is what we call third circle, surprise, surprise. And is the idea that we over do all of those elements. So we deliberately stand really tall and we make our voice extra loud and we look at the audience with particularly expressive eyes and we think that is being present. So again, it's ticking all those boxes. Yeah. Overcompensating the boxes almost. Over ticking the boxes, exactly. (laughs) And you can all identify an experience where you know someone like that or have watched someone like that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that is similarly as ineffective as the first circle performer who was worried about lunch. It's just mm. as ineffective. You look at those people and you even think, oh, God, you're arrogant or, or geez, turn it down. And you are similarly, similarly disengaged because it's also not giving you energy and giving mm. you focus and intent. What a good performer does in any context, an actor, a presenter, a politician, is they do neither. All they are doing, and it is re- it really is this simple, is stripping everything else back and your one primary focus in life during that performance is your message and your audience's understanding and appreciation of that message. So if I go back to my example of a grade five student who I said did a you know, fantastic job and really grabbed the audience, even the person who had watched it seven million times, <laughs> there was this element of... I am not here to add things and add facial expressions and add elaborate gestures in the hope of looking good. I am not worried about my words. I am not worried about the self-consciousness factor of the audience looking at me. I just really, really, really want everyone in that audience to love what I'm doing, to want to watch me. And if you can realign your mindset to that way, that's a powerful motivator for you as a speaker to go, you know what I really want? I want to stop speaking and to have that little pause where people don't even remember to clap because they're so enraptured in what I'm doing. And then they suddenly snap out of it, this trance that I put them in, this connection which I've suddenly broken by finishing what I'm doing and burst into applause because they genuinely enjoyed what I did for them. That's an awesome feeling. And if to achieve that, you need to give something to the audience as well. They are the person who you are there for. If you are speaking, if you're public speaking on a political stage, if you're acting, 
your whole purpose for being there really should be that you love the idea that you have something that people want to listen to. And if it's not, then you need to reevaluate what you're doing on stage, to be honest. But if you can have a quality speech and a good mindset coming into your performance and place the spotlight not on yourself, because it really is not about you, it's about your message. Once you place the spotlight on that message and place the priority on your audience, not on how you feel, presence isn't far away, if not already there. And we, we've talked as well about you can tell when somebody isn't presenting so much as just reading a mental script. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can just tell. Um, and mm-hmm. I imagine a lot of that has to come back to what you're talking about, about being present in the room yeah, emotionally and mentally mm-hmm. as well as physically. And even just to prove the fact that it is so intangible is we all know, but then if you were to ask someone, how do you know, they go, I just knew. Because, it's mm-hmm. it, again, it's metaphysical. It's more than something you can see. Although there are physical clues, like you can see when someone's eyes are glazed <laughs> over mm. and you can see when they're thinking, but what you're really feeling is what, you, is what mm. you're responding to. But it's a, it's a yeah. feeling and an emotion-based thing rather than a mm. criteria. Driven. Yeah. I have a lot of students who obviously work in this academic world where their essays tick boxes and they get an A-plus from doing this and they do this and that. And I really try and, in a way, reject that in what we're doing because... They will get results from making mistakes and giving it a go and not being so focused on how to get it right. The second they try to get it right, that's when it becomes worse, especially when it comes to presenting and speaking. And this goes for my students who are doing acting stuff, in which it's, of course, far more obvious if they're in character or not. And just my speaking students who are learning to just put together little talks and public speeches and they sometimes go home and their parents try and with best intentions, try and help them. And they come back suddenly with massive facial expressions and timed gestures and standing with their shoulders pushed really far back and an awkward smile on their face. And then we have a really nice discussion about, well, that, I mean, sure, you can do that, but do you feel comfortable do you feel like yourself and they go not really they go well cool because if you did walk around like that you'd probably get odd looks every now and then why can't we just be ourselves and then refine from there and they're like oh but it doesn't sound as good and then I go oh I disagree (laughs) I think Mm -hmm. you'll find out through practice and Mm -hmm. experience it doesn't look very good and you can see when you watch others do the same thing as you've done as a learning moment, you can see that, no, that didn't affect me. I didn't enjoy that. They tried Mm. so hard, but they weren't giving me anything. And as an audience, because we're humans, we need to give and receive energy and emotional connection with people, no matter how far away they are, whether you're on stage or not. If we don't have that, we don't care. That's why even through a TV screen, a good actor on a TV show, we just oh, we just sit there and we just can't look away. They're not even in the room. They're not even really there. They're just on a screen, but they project presence and energy. And you can feel that right through a TV screen. So we're talking about presence is something that you can move in the direction of achieving through what you teach. Is presence any different to charisma? And does charisma have a similar direction you can move into? Or do you know when somebody's got it? I think they're definitely related cousins. 
I wouldn't say they're the same thing. I mean, a charismatic person comes down to so much more than just presence, although that's a big part of it. It's also how they dress, their word choices. It's a little bit more. The innateness of presence in a, in a truly charismatic person is also there. I mean, if you look, mm. for example, I'll use a really obvious political example, but Barack Obama was such a present speaker, no matter what you thought of his politics. If you were to watch him speak, he wasn't just looking out at his, you know, hundreds or thousands of people in some ways. He wasn't just doing the motions of looking and saying the script. He had the ability to really engage that audience of thousands of people. You could tell that in his within him, he really wanted to affect those people. He wanted them to understand what he said. So he worked really hard to make connections with people through presence. And that, I think, impacts a lot of why you might consider him a charismatic speaker, for example, because his personality shines through the artifice of presentation wasn't there, which you see with a lot of politicians on the other side of the spectrum. And we love seeing humanity. I think that's what it boils down to. And to see someone's humanity and their vulnerability and to see their sense of humour come through, I think that being linked in with presence is what you get when you call it charisma. Yeah. Again, I think presence as as a concept which might underlie um, a charismatic presentation, is a lot deeper and more innate than that. And I think it goes back to this idea that perhaps, as Patsy Rodenberg notes in her book, I feel like the biggest (laughs) plugger for her at the moment, I'm sorry. Um, But um, as she says in her book, we're all born with presence. We're all born opening our eyes in the world and being here and being real and being now. But the way that society is technology and culture we disengage from the world a lot and we're used to disengaging from the world a lot and hiding behind our first circle wall of looking inwardly whereas you can go to for example more rural communities tribal communities and it's not the same you don't get that sense of inward focus because they've never learned to only ever be inward focused they're to disengage they've always engaged they're always on they're always there engaging with the people around them they don't have distractions or cultural things which impact their ability to connect with people and that's getting a lot more philosophical than that (laughs) that for ages but it really is interesting and again something we probably all are born with yeah, well, I actually find it quite interesting that you bring up um, Barack Obama earlier because um, when we do workshops or work with anyone, we sometimes ask, you know, who's a speaker that you look up to? Barack Obama comes out always, every single time it, without fail. He comes up. It's interesting because you get a whole range of speakers. He's the only politician mm. whoever gets brought up. And I think yeah. that's a big part of, again, totally away from the actual politics of the person why people loved him and he's memorable and people bring his name up as someone who they have had a chance to, most people have had a chance to see speak on news shows, et cetera. True. And they recognize, they recognize a good speaker. They recognize not just what he's saying. In fact, you could argue it's less of what he's saying, but him, you just see him and you just see this warm, open person who's willing to be vulnerable and not in the negative sense of vulnerable, but just 
to be there and be looked at and to have you share energy with him, we like it and we go, yeah, yeah, you're really nice to look at. And I think that you are saying something of importance. So what would you say is maybe the first step you can take in moving in the right direction of having presence? The first step that I take, and again, this goes back to my training and background, is learning how to stand. (laughs) (laughs) And I will justify that because there's three elements to speaking. There's the physical, what we see, what you are, what you have on, clothing. It's everything you can touch. The verbal, which is what you say, your choice of words, your speech structure, all of that jazz, your script, whatever. Then the vocal, so your voice. So that's not the same as the verbal, but how you use your voice to communicate your message. So looking at that as the foundations of any form of speech or presentation The physical is the house. Within the physical, your body is your voice and your words and your script and everything. So if your house isn't prepared for performance and focused and present, how on earth are you going to communicate the verbal and the vocal? You're not. So I think it's really important to start with your body and thinking really carefully about how you are standing. And again, that's not the stuff about pushing your shoulders back, whatever. It is simply, how are you feeling? Are you feeling good in your body when you're about to speak? If not, what adjustments can you make so that you are feeling good? Because if you're not feeling good, you're not going to think about anything else apart from the fact that you're not feeling very good. (laughs) And then that leads to feeling nervous. And then that nervousness leads to not doing the best job you can and not being present. So if you can get your body right and yoga as a baseline for anyone interested is a great is a great method of connecting with your body because the principles of yoga are the same things that we want it's the idea of engaging with your breath it's the idea of having a body which is flexible limber prepared to do whatever you want it to do whether it's a pose in yoga or standing And recognizing how important that is to actually be aware of yourself and your body. That's step one of presence. If you're not totally engaged with your own body, how on earth are you going to engage with other bodies? Mm -hmm. You have to be in absolute total preparation mode and totally focused, alert and ready to go to have a chance of affecting other people. Yeah, I think that's a great place to start, being aware of and in control of your own body. Yeah, yeah. and again, I know how fluffy that sounds, and we all go, of course, I'm aware of my body. If I wasn't aware of my body, I wouldn't be standing here, I'd be a puddle on the floor. <laughs> but in my profession and in my experience and in watching lots of people perform lots of different types of things, yeah. the amount of people who have no idea what their body's doing or no idea how to engage with their own body yeah. is a bit sad really I mean even again a small child who says I just can't control my legs if you'd break down that statement and think about it what do you mean you can't control your legs (laughs) how absurd of a thought and when an when a older person or an adult would say oh my hands keep shaking I don't know how to stop it and it's going really you've gone through 45 years of your life and you can't stop your hands shaking those are clues that you're not in absolute control. And if you are not in absolute control of your own ship, how on earth are you going to use it in, uh, with 100% capacity? 
Yeah. In control of the own ship, I was thinking, I, you, I always think how you're the pilot of your own vessel and you said ship. <laughs> you know? that, that sounds okay. a lot better. I yeah. like what you said. That one's better. Just that you'll be, I've, not, I've noticed it um, in reflection, listening to you, the amount of times before I walk on stage or give a presentation or something, and I take the moment to just stand and be aware of where I am and what my body is doing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And it's powerful. It's, yeah. It feels so simple. And I think that's why people discount this kind of stuff. They think, no, it's got to be more complicated than that. Mm. There has to be something I'm missing. It has to be, got, yeah. it has to do with my vocal variety. It has to do with this, the reason that I'm not. It's that checklist the of thing. doing all the right things. Yeah. yeah. You think I'm just not, there's something more complicated. And what's complicated about it is that it's so simple and it's so innate and organic. Yeah. And in the acting world, they've known these lessons and they teach these lessons from day one for a reason and have for years, centuries even, mm. because that's what they need in their profession to do their job. If people don't like them and don't feel affected by them, they're not a good actor. Yeah. Similarly, if people aren't affected by your speech or your presentation, then you're not the best presenter you can be. Yeah. So then final question, do you have a particular success story that you're proud of, maybe a student that you've really affected their life or their performance or? Um, I have a particular student who I still have. She's in grade 10 now, so she's about 15. Mm -hmm. And I first had her as a student when I, she was 13, so two years ago. And when she came, as many do, they came because their parents enrolled them because they're so shy and that's all they know. They've gotten comments in their orals. She's shy. She's shy. She just needs confidence. She's shy. And so they enroll them for confidence, which is well and good. We can do confidence. That's cool. But there's so much more. There was so much more layers to unearth with her. And again, not that I ever go around psychologizing students, but it's the idea of it's past experiences impact people so much, mm. even as a child. And for this girl, it was the fact that when she was oh, in grade seven, she got a little note of feedback on the bottom of a assessment sheet from her teacher doing an oral saying that she needed to look up and she was fidgeting a lot. And so she held that and she went, oh, my God, I fidget a lot. Oh, I don't want to I don't want to speak then because oh, yeah, people well, are going to judge me. Well. And especially as a child, that's even more yeah. powerful. Yeah, yeah. But it is as an adult too. The second you get one bit of feedback you weren't aware of and you take it the wrong way or it was delivered in a wrong yeah. way, yeah. you I'm hold on to that. that. Yeah. I know it, I remember being told many things, which I like to think I've now addressed many <laughs> years later. But when I, even when I was a kid, I was a terrible presenter. I look back at videos of me public speaking and debating which I have, which are horrifying. Um, <laughs> it's horrifying they exist in the first place because um, I did public speaking all through school. And I thought at the time I did a all right job, but then I look at it and I go, God, I was boring. So boring. Look at me. Just I can see myself thinking about my words and I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm listening, but it's all just going over my head. So with this particular student, it was very much the same. And so then we, she really didn't want to perform and she's not a drama-y person or an actor-y person. She was there for speaking. And yeah. so what I wanted to do was get her to do a monologue, the purpose being if, she can, if we can find something for her to do which is really fun, which doesn't feel like a pressured speech or a nasty oral or something like that and is purely for the purpose of having fun, we might 
be successful. So she picked out after a lot of agonizing a little a little character and a, a, quite a bold character. So it was like the ugly stepsister from Cinderella, which is <laughs> so a character so bold and nothing like her personality yeah. whatsoever, but it was fun. She got to wow. stomp on stage and throw her <laughs> fan around and chuck her bag on the floor. It was fun. And so then we worked on this, worked on this, worked on this. And even in rehearsal, she was still very reserved and it took probably six months for her to truly truly give it a go in front of me. And what I mean is you could tell she was doing everything she needed to do and I'd give feedback and she'd apply it, but she was still mm. reserved. She didn't feel quite comfortable just just going all out and giving it 100% because she was still nervous of self-consciousness. And a lot of the times with students like that, I actually turn around which sounds stupid. And they look at me going, are you not going to look at me? I said, nah. <laughs> and so I turn my, I physically turn my chair around and I will do something on my laptop that they can see. I'm not just pretending to turn around. It really feels like I'm doing something else. Mm. And they look at me going, oh, that's a bit rude. But anyway, I turn around and I do something else completely. And I just tell them to run it completely without ignoring me. I'm not paying attention. I am, but they don't think I am. And then she finally did it. They have a little entrance um, to get to come in from because entrances are important. So she was behind this little entrance screen, so I couldn't see her anyway. And I was turned around doing an email or something. She could tell I was quite clearly doing something. And then I didn't hear anything for about 50 seconds because I was timing on my computer. And I went, oh, I think she's still there. Okay, I'm, just, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to make her feel self-conscious. And she was obviously behind there preparing herself because we had really harped on about do not come out onto this stage until you are ready. And she actually took a, a concerning amount of time. I was almost worried. And then I was doing my email, whatever, whatever. And then suddenly I think her first line was, I can't believe it because she just got dumped by the prince. And then suddenly I just heard stomp, stomp, stomp. I can't believe it. Rah, 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 rah. And it was so bold and passionate and angry. Mm -hmm. And I, and I've stopped because I was just, it surprised me in the best way because she'd never even let her voice be that loud before. She was so nervous about being judged for just giving it a go. And then I stopped typing and she stopped and she went, was that okay? And I turned around and went, it was brilliant, amazing, do it again. And then from then on, Slowly it got better and better, but from then on she finally tried with 100% presence and focus yeah, right. because she realised that, well, I hope that's what she realised. At the end of the day, me as a teacher or even an audience, it doesn't matter who your audience is, the point is the audience isn't there to critique or stop you or judge you. No one's going to put their hand up and go, that was terrible, start again. They just want you to give it your best go and to commit to what you're doing 100 percent i think that's a great lesson in itself yeah and from then on everything she did of course she still she still needed guidance and coaching but she at least tried everything with the best that she had she really gave it a go and she really tried to look at me genuinely with focus and presence and commit to what she was saying a speech a monologue whatever And now she can walk onto a stage and she's one of the students where she might be doing something quite simple even, not even a big, bold piece, like a poem or something. And then she'll walk on and then she'll wait 
And she will look at that audience with no fear in her eyes because she's done this before and she knows how to, con- she knows that she's in control. Yeah, wow. And then does what she needs to do. And I look at it and go, hmm, this is genuinely nice. I just like, I'm enjoying this. It's just a pleasant thing to be an audience member for you. And then you give her a big round of applause and she walks off chuffed. So it's really nice to see them finally just crack through all of that stuff that we yeah. put on ourselves, the nervous stuff and commit to whatever you're doing. So it's really refreshing. I'm just thinking like how much of an advantage it would be when any of us were 15 to be in that place of understanding our own self-confidence and self-esteem and not Mm. removing that element of vulnerability that we should have acting, speaking, having conversations in relationships, wherever it might be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. My daughter's school actually does offer speech and drama. Ah. Lessons and I'm really like genuinely You're thinking sold now, like, aren't you? I should really enroll her. Yeah. I highly recommend. Yeah, I mean, she's only five, advice. but. Or just send her to see Katrina. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'd love to have her. But yeah, no, it's so powerful. It's why I get really nerdy and go on. I could talk for ages about yeah. what I do because I just love seeing, I love seeing people change. And it's so much more than just not dissing learning an instrument, but I'm just comparing. They might learn a violin and they get really good at it and it's fantastic and they can play and it's awesome. But to see a student of any age, but a learning student, finally crack speaking and finally going, you know what, I can do this. This isn't hard. It shouldn't be hard. I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself for no gain. All I need to do is just give it my 100% best and commit to it and commit to my audience and want to engage with them. And it feels awesome. And they come off with this absolute high. And you do, you get an endorphin rush if you're an an actor on stage or whatever to have, to have affected people. It is such a self-esteem booster to have people look at you with genuine sparkle and go, that was really pleasant or that was moving or that was whatever you wanted from that audience. And that's so powerful, a skill to have, especially at a young age. So I like to see it. killed to have that a school age. Yeah, I definitely didn't have it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I would almost say for myself, I I don't consider that I actually got anything close to a competent speaker until I was maybe 22, mm. a couple of years ago. Yeah, right. And you've been doing it since a young age as well. Yeah. yeah right. Because, again, I was doing all the right things. I was still getting good yeah. grades in my exams and that kind of thing. But then... I was sort of skirting the surface because I was ticking the boxes. So I was doing okay, but I never yeah. really cared about my audience. I didn't really care to affect them. I just did what I wanted to do and assumed they would love it. Yeah. Um, and that they would just want to applaud for me because I did such a fantastic job. And I realized when I matured that it's, no, it's my job. I'm the one who does the hard work for them. Yeah. They're the audience. They sit there doing nothing. I do the work. And then when I finally cracked that, suddenly everything fell into place. Like I was a better actor, I was a better speaker, I was a better reader, interpretive reader. It just all fell into place. So that was a really powerful realisation for me. Yeah. We normally ask people what's a book or a person or a resource that's influenced (laughs) the way that you speak. (laughs) Well, I'm going to say it's Pepsi. (laughs) Not a sponsor. (laughs) Not sponsored. I know. I feel like I'm a bit of a tragic when I talk about her. Like I'm a bit of like a, like just fangirling, but she genuinely is like when I, and I, I mean, there's a lot of other people I, I like and I read about, but just because I've worked with her in person and she affected me so deeply and greatly. I just, I just breathe heavily when I think about her. Like she's just so amazing <laughs> um, that 
I just can't help but bring her name up when I'm yeah. when I'm asked that question. And we'll definitely link yeah. to some resources of hers in the show notes as well. Yeah. She's got yeah, she's got heaps of presence and public speaking books and that kind of thing, which is all it's the same concept, just with acti- other activities yeah. and stuff thrown in to help you find it. But yeah. And lastly, where can people find you? You can find me at the shops. No. <laughs> <laughs> at the shops on my day off. No. You can email me at Katrina dot roberts with an s at ahs.qld.edu.au excellent we'll drop a link to that in the show notes as well (laughs) yeah brilliant so we've had a good time sitting here chatting and mostly listening if we're honest to you katrina so thank you very much for helping us out thank you for sharing your knowledge and all of that wisdom and understanding that yeah has been absolutely brilliant thank you plenty to learn from thank you Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find the show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. Want to get in touch? Send us an email at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts or take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week.